Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with France 24. The protests against the pension reforms in France have continued, with many days seeing over a million people in the streets. Violence from both the police and some in the crowds has escalated, with several protesters dead or maimed. We will hear some press reviews on these actions and controversial remarks by police calling environmentalist terrorist. France 24. Press review now. That's France seeing another day of national strikes across the country. Hundreds of thousands protesting the pension reforms, which will see the retirement age raised from 62 to 64. And then the use of the controversial Article 49.3, which saw it pushed through without a vote. For more on this, our press reviewer, Leo McGuinn, joins us. Leo, what is the French press reaction to yet another day, a tenth day, in fact, of strikes? Yes, Erin, another day, another day of strikes in France. And as you say, we're into double figures now, a tenth day of national strikes across the country. As you can imagine, it's all over the French newspapers this morning. This is the more left-leaning Libération. They have a group of young people on the front, call them Generation 49.3. That's, of course, a reference to Article 49.3, which pushed through the reforms to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64 without a vote. Uh, And according to Liberation, since that article was pushed through, the youth movement has been massive in the country and more and more young people are turning out at these protests. If we move to the centre and look at Le Monde, they ask... What does this crisis say about Macronism? And, and some of Macron's even most fervent supporters are starting to lose faith in the president. If we look inside, it's actually a similar story to Liberation. They say, yeah, the protest numbers were down, but the youth numbers were up. There was only 750,000 people out protesting yesterday compared to over a million last time out. But it's hard to quantify the amount of young people out on the streets. But they do talk of the tense atmosphere and how some are even scared of the police. And if we look right to Le Figaro, it's a similar headline, just without the younger people. They say that the protests are running out of steam. The mobilisation is weakening. They do admit that President Macron, who's refusing all mediations, he's under huge amounts of pressure. Now, Leo, these protests are not just making headlines here in France. What has the international reaction been? Yeah, if we look at the New York Times, they have this. They say France is caught in a tense impasse. They focus on how the protests have taken on a more violent edge in the past few weeks with Macron. He's in a a difficult position of trying to smooth things over, also trying to push forward with these pension reforms. If we look at the Financial Times, actually makes the front page here. You can see a protester amongst the tear gas. Inside, they have an opinion piece about Laurent Berger, who is, of course, the secretary general of the CFDT, one of the biggest unions here in France. 
And according to Financial Times, he is the key man to stopping this crisis. He's actually had a friendship or a relationship with uh, President Emmanuel Macron for over 10 years now, a relationship that's cooled off over the past few years. But according to this piece, if Macron has any chance of returning the country to order, that relationship needs to be reignited. Yeah, the extreme violence at the Saint-Soline protest has been in the French press all week. But today, Libération is taking us through a minute-by-minute -minute, uh, playback of what happened. Uh, again, uh, as protesters uh, were met with uh, police uh, over a, a water reserve basin, uh, it asks what went wrong. And a judicial investigation is actually underway, uh, one that Libération says in its editorial that it hopes will clarify how authorities Authorities failed the protesters. Now, in addition to questions of what kinds of weapons were used um, uh, against the protesters, ones that blew off uh, a protester's hands, and also ones that put two people into critical condition, they are still in critical condition. Le Monde, along with Libé and other uh, and with Mediapart and other papers as well, they've been looking into uh, audio recording proof of why first responders were told not to, or may have been told not to aid the injured immediately. As Le Monde explains, uh, Gérard Darmanin uh, is uh, vowed that the medics uh, uh, were never kept from intervening. But on the left, there is an increased call for the interior minister to resign. Now, for Mediapart, it uh, has a, a, a bit of a wordplay today, saying Darmanin is the danger from within. Uh, in a multi-person expose uh, the, uh, on the interior minister, uh, they say he is a minister of lies. Uh, after a series of falsehoods on his part. Now, Le Figaro is covering this. Again, another uh, image of Damana, the Minister of Lies. Now, Le Figaro is covering this in a, in a, in a different way. It's, uh, the Conservative paper says the Interior Minister uh, wants to embody order. Uh, he has uh, to remove some of the heat that's on him. He's turned, the paper says, to what he calls the ultra-left and has uh, dissolved an environmental group called Les Soulèvements de la Terre. But was that the right move? That's the question that Lacroix is asking today. It concluded that the government's attempts to equate uh, an, an environmental movement with terrorism is wrong, that sometimes it says civil disobedience is simply about rightfully standing up for things, especially, it says, when the government isn't stepping up to the plate in regard to the environment. The French papers are, of course, focusing on today's 10th nationwide strike against Emmanuel Macron's pension reforms. Yeah, I thought I'd begin with the local papers today. In Marseille, for example, their regional paper says that uh, this they will strike for as long as it takes. Uh, meanwhile, the Dépêche Midi, it says it's focusing on uh, a Tuesday at uh, risque or a Tuesday where violence could get out of hand. Meanwhile, Lazette in eastern France is focusing on the political, on Macron searching for a way to stamp out anger in the streets. And in the national papers, there are also divergent views as well. Well, let's take L'Humanité, uh, the left-leaning paper. It says that uh, Emmanuel Macron is le pyromane, the pyromaniac. Uh, it says that he has chosen the route of repression, which risks making things worse. Meanwhile, Libération, also left-leaning, it, it asks, uh, where is the S exit? Um, it says Macron is more fragile than ever, with his popularity sinking. It wonders if his efforts to move on to appease protesters will work, as he waits for the Constitutional Council to uh, weigh in on his reforms.
problems. Meanwhile, going the opposite end of the political spectrum, Le Figaro, the conservative paper, says it's focusing on the over 1,000 uh, casseurs or hooligans that are expected today at the protests. And it's also looking at what it calls an improbable solution or the potential for the government to work with labor unions to calm people's anger. As for why this would not work, Lacroix has an interesting perspective. It's saying that... Um, uh, there is a long-term mistrust uh, between uh, Emmanuel Macron and uh, also uh, with labor unions. Uh, they feel that uh, Macron has no interest in furthering social democracy. Uh, the unions say they feel that Macron has not given them a place at the table to try and resolve social issues. Those press reviews were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. My health concerns have continued. I'm still recovering from spinal surgery two weeks ago, and I truly appreciate all your well wishes. Thank you. Hopefully my energy will increase soon. Bear with me, please. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. Human Rights Watch criticized the UK for going forward with its plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda. Canada and the United States have agreed to alter the way they treat asylum seekers, making it more difficult to process claims. Fears of terrorist actions in Northern Ireland have increased. And the first Global Water Conference has been held in New York at the United Nations to address the water crises and ensure equitable access to water for all. Radio Havana, Cuba. The UK's plan to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda would, quote, completely erode, unquote, Britain's standing on the world stage. The new head of Human Rights Watch, the HRW, has said, Tirana Hassan, who took over as HRW's executive director on Monday, also said other conservative governments in Europe were considering following Britain's lead and looking at African states as an offshore dumping ground for asylum seekers, potentially dealing further blows to established refugee protections. Quote, everyone should care about this. This isn't just about what's happening in the UK, Hassan said, on the eve of her confirmation as HRW's permanent new chief, succeeding Kenneth Roth, who did the job for nearly three decades. The UK government's deportation scheme was agreed with Rwanda nearly a year ago, but has been held up by legal challenges since then, including the intervention of the European Court of Human Rights. The Home Secretary, Suela Braverman, visited Kigali earlier this month to see accommodation blocks being built for deported asylum seekers from Britain, causing additional controversy by taking only the right-wing press with her. The government has also proposed a restrictive new immigration bill under the slogan Stop the Boats, aimed at cutting down refugee crossings of the channel. Quote, it's cheap politics, divisive and completely contrary to human rights, Hassan said. I think that this current government in the UK is essentially scraping the bottom of the barrel. Justin Trudeau's government has announced a major shift in how Canada and the United States handle asylum claims, a move that effectively closes a controversial border crossing after meetings in Ottawa on Friday with Joe Biden. 
Under the deal, which Canadian officials hope will temper the increase in irregular border crossings in recent months, Canada will bring in 15,000 more South and Central American migrants to Canada. The Prime Minister's office said in a statement the agreement would ensure more fairness in migration between the two countries. The breakthrough on irregular migration was one of a handful of new policies and funding efforts announced by the two countries. And to, until 2004, asylum claims could be made in any legal port of entry in Canada where they would then be processed and claimants submitted if their claim was approved. That changed when Ottawa successfully lobbied for the passage of the Safe Third Country Agreement, a deal that forced migrants to make asylum claims in the country where they first arrived. The current agreement applies to the land-based ports of entry, but not to irregular or unofficial crossings. In recent years... Tens of thousands of migrants have circumvented the agreement and claimed asylum at official points along the 5,500-mile U.S.-Canada border. By extending the agreement to apply to the entire border, officials can now turn back migrants attempting to cross at unofficial border points. Even though Canada pushed for the agreement in 2004, the deal has frustrated immigration officials in recent years amid a rise in asylum claims at the Quebec-New York border. In January, Royal Canadian Mounted Police intercepted more than 5,000 asylum seekers on the road, the highest since the government started tracking the increase that began in 2017 following the election of Donald Trump as U.S. President. Terrorism threat and its level in Northern Ireland has been increased from substantial to severe, meaning an attack is highly likely. In a written statement to MPs, Northern Ireland Secretary Chris Heaton-Harris said M15 had increased the threat to the country from Northern Ireland. And this related to terrorism and the public should remain vigilant but not alarmed. The move by the security service came a month after the senior police officer John Caldwell was shot by masked gunmen in Omar County, Tyrone. The detective chief inspector is understood to be in critical but stable condition in hospital after he was shot while he packed footballs into his car alongside his son after a training session. Thirteen arrests have been made in connection with the attempted murder and dissident Republicans have been blamed for the attack. In a statement, Hilton Harris said over the last 25 years, Northern Ireland has transformed into a peaceful society. The Belfast or Good Friday Agreement demonstrates how peaceful and democratic politics improve society. However, a small number of people remain determined to cause harm to our communities through acts of politically motivated violence. In recent months, we have seen an increase in levels of activity related to Northern Ireland-related terrorism, which has targeted police officers serving their communities and also put at risk the lives of children and other members of the public. These attacks have no support, as demonstrated by the reaction to the abhorrent attempt murder of D.C. I. Caldwell. Threat levels are designed to give broad indication of the likelihood of a terrorist attack. M15 is responsible for setting the threat level for Northern Irish-related terrorism in Northern Ireland, while the threat level for the UK from international terrorism is set by the Joint Terrorism Analysis Centre. The threat to the UK from terrorism is substantial, meaning an attack is likely. The raising of the, of the threat level in Northern Ireland comes just a year after it was lowered for the first time in 12 years. 
The first global water conference in almost half a century has concluded with the creation of a new UN envoy for water and hundreds of non-binding pledges that, if fulfilled, would edge the world towards universal access to clean water and sanitation. The three-day summit in New York spurred more than 700 commitments from local and national governments, non-profit and some businesses to a new water action agenda, and progress on the hotchpotch of voluntary pledges will be monitored at future UN gatherings. A new scientific panel on water will also be created by the United Nations. Overall, organizers said they were happy that some governments and representatives from academia, industries and non-profit have come together to discuss the often neglected topic of water and to commit billions of dollars to improving water security. But they conceded that, that more was needed than a set of voluntary commitments such as a former global agreement, like the 2015 Paris Climate Accords and the 2022 Montreal Biodiversity Pact, as well as better data and an international finance mechanism to safeguard water supplies. This conference did not give us a mandate for this, but we brought the world together to ensure there is follow-up, said Henk Ovink, Special Envoy for Water from the Netherlands, which co-hosted the conference along with Tajikistan. We have fragmented water governments across the world, fragmented finance, and it's not enough science and data in place. We know our job is still not done, and in fact we are falling behind in our task, said Taman Shanmutgaratnam, Singapore's senior minister and co-chair of a summit in interactive dialogue. But we know the job can be done. We must now treat water as a global common good to be protected collectively in the interests of all nations. In closing the historic summit, Antonio Guterres, Secretary-General of the UN, urged everyone to turn the pledges into action. All of humanity's hopes for the future depend in some way on charting a new course to sustainable manage and conserve water. It needs to be at the centre of the political agenda. Talks ended with a broad agreement that water should be treated as a global common good and that the world's approach to water must be less siloed given its nexus with the climate crisis and food, energy and national security. But with no internationally binding agreement, experts fear that pledges could slide as it will be hard to hold governments, industry and financial institutions to account. Those reports are from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. There's no podcast up there, however. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, you can stream the English version at noon on Monday through Friday Pacific Daylight Saving Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet. Many, many thanks to everyone who's contributed, most recently from Garberville, Willits, and Albion, California, and Toronto, Ontario. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen is traveling to the U.S. and Central America, much to China's consternation. China's President Xi was proud of his role in normalizing ties between Saudi Arabia and Iran. 
Russia announced it would deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. Russia shot down the Ukrainian drone 200 kilometers from Moscow. U.S. Secretary of State Blinken called the Chinese suggestion of a ceasefire in the Ukraine war a trap that must be avoided. The U.S. and U.K. forces are holding large-scale landing drills on the Korean Peninsula. The U.K. is set to join the Trans-Pacific Partnership, proposed in 2016 and stumbling ever since then, NHK Japan. Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen has left on her trip to Central America, but it's her planned stops in the United States that are attracting the most attention. She'll likely meet with the U.S. House Speaker, which Beijing warns would be a provocative move. Tsai is due to visit Guatemala and Belize after a stop in New York. Both nations have diplomatic ties with Taiwan. She'll also stop in Los Angeles before returning home on April 7th. Through this visit, I'd like to thank our democratic allies for supporting Taiwan. I'd also like to tell the world that democratic Taiwan will resolutely defend the value of freedom. Tsai is expected to hold talks with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, though her office has not officially announced anything about this. Observers say she hopes the tour will attract more support for her ruling Democratic Progressive Party in Taiwan's presidential election in January. China responded sharply to the possible meeting with the U.S. House Speaker. Contact with McCarthy would be a flagrant violation of the One China principle and a provocation against peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. We firmly oppose it and would take countermeasures. China's Taiwan Affairs Office spokesperson said Taiwan's ruling party is seeking support for independence by using various pretexts. Chinese President Xi Jinping has praised his country's role in normalizing ties between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and he said he hopes to expand China's involvement in the Middle East. The United States previously had strong influence in that region. She spoke by phone with Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman on Tuesday. China's foreign ministry says she noted the international community's approval of the mediation efforts. She said China will continue to support the process of the talks between the two countries. The Crown Prince thanked Xi for China's efforts to improve Saudi Arabia-Iran relations. He also stressed the importance of strengthening ties with Beijing. Now, turning to the situation in Ukraine, the country's foreign ministry is calling on the UN Security Council to hold an emergency meeting. It comes after Russia announced it will deploy tactical nuclear weapons in Belarus. On Saturday, Russian President Vladimir Putin unveiled plans to build a storage facility for the weapons in Belarus by July 1st. Ukraine's government slammed Russia, saying the country is undermining international security. NATO also criticized the move. In a statement, it called Russia's nuclear rhetoric dangerous and irresponsible. American officials say they've been monitoring the situation since the start of the war, but they haven't seen evidence of changes to Russia's nuclear posture. 
I can tell you that we've seen nothing that would indicate uh, Mr. Putin is uh, preparing to, to use tactical nuclear weapons in any way whatsoever in, in uh, Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia's defense ministry says it has shot down a Ukrainian drone in a town about 200 kilometers south of Moscow. A Russian media report says the attack injured a number of people and damaged three homes. The U.S. Secretary of State is expressing more concern about a proposed ceasefire in Ukraine. It comes after China urged Moscow and Kyiv to hold peace talks. Antony Blinken held an online meeting with his European and Japanese counterparts. He described the ceasefire plan as a trap for Ukraine. The call for, uh, call for ceasefires which would potentially have the effect of freezing in place the conflict, allowing Russia to consolidate the gains uh, that it's made, and simply use the time to rest and uh, refit and then reattack. Ukraine's foreign minister says his country will only accept peace if Russian troops withdraw. The cessation of Russia's aggression and the restoration of Ukraine's territorial integrity are essential conditions for peace. On the ground in Ukraine, tanks from Britain and Germany have now arrived. Portuguese officials also confirmed the delivery of three Leopard 2 tanks. Russia is lashing out over the military support for Ukraine. It says their involvement is inflaming the conflict. U.S. and South Korean forces are holding large-scale amphibious landing drills for the first time in five years. The two countries' militaries remain on alert as North Korea continues to accelerate its nuclear and missile development. The joint exercise will be held through Monday next week in Pohang in South Korea's southeast. Media viewed some of the drills on Wednesday. Amphibious armored vehicles proceeded shoreward from the sea under the cover under cover of a smoke screen. The U.S. military used landing craft to carry armored vehicles ashore. Osprey aircraft and helicopters flew in formation to transport soldiers inland. The South Korean military says about 30 vessels and 70 aircraft were mobilized for the exercise. The U.S. and South Korea will hold joint exercises with the Japan Maritime Self-Defense Force in the near future. The trilateral drills aim to strengthen cooperation in the face of North Korea's increasingly confrontational stance. The United Kingdom is set to join a major trade bloc in the Asia-Pacific region. The country has been looking for new partnerships since leaving the European Union. The Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership first took effect in 2018. Members include Japan, Australia, Canada, and other Asia-Pacific countries. Their ministers are expected to greenlight the UK's membership as early as Friday. London applied to join the pact in 2021, a year after it officially left the European Union. The UK will be the first country to sign on since the original signatories. The pact is meant to break down barriers such as tariffs while encouraging investment in services. It also sets common rules in areas like intellectual property and e-commerce. The potential addition of the UK is seen as giving the partnership a major boost. 
and members, including Japan, are hoping it will lure the United States back to the deal. Washington initially signed on but pulled out before the pact came into effect. China, Taiwan, Ecuador, Costa Rica and Uruguay have also applied to enter the bloc. Those reports are from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. They also podcast on most podcast sites. All the times they announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zones. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show that's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link for that at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.